would like for everyone to open up to Joshua 1. That way we can read together here in a couple minutes. When you hear the word meditation or meditate, what's the first thing that kind of comes to our mind? Sometimes we think about somebody holding their hands out with their thumb and their index finger touching with their eyes closed, looking up, crisscrossed, and, and might think of Buddhism or, or some other Eastern uh, religion or belief where they focus and meditate on emptying their soul or emptying their mind. And um, they do that in order to focus on their soul. As a result, we as Christians virtually avoid the idea and practice of meditation because of that stereotype. And for good reason, because we know that meditation has no, uh, no way, not even a way, to salvation. Meditation does not get us salvation. But when we read texts like we're going to read this afternoon and this evening, um, we have to ask ourselves, what are we supposed to do with some of these, some of these things that are said? We need to meditate uh, on the Word of God. So to avoid meditation altogether is, in fact, a diso disobedience to God. One writer said, Meditation is deep thinking on the truths and spiritual realities revealed in Scripture for the purpose of understanding application and prayer so meditation is not necessarily about our posture it's about the goal it's about what we're trying to understand so the goal of eastern mysticism or uh, even new age meditation is emptying of your mind in order to have complete focus but the goal in biblical meditation is totally different the goal would be the same we want to have complete focus but the means of accomplishing that goal Uh, is not the meditation that empties our minds, but meditation that fills our mind with truth of God's Word. So that's the reason why we meditate, is so we can fill our minds with the Word of God. That's why in, one of this, passage, in this passage we are getting ready to read, um, if you look at verse 8, it says there, The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. So meditation involves filling our minds with God's Word, and it's in doing that that we find the right focus for our lives. The kind of focus, this kind of focus uh, necessitates more than just reading the Bible. So we can read that in verse 8. It says, it does not say that the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall read it day and night. Instead, it says you shall meditate on it day and night. So reading it alone is not enough. So there's a difference there. So meditation does not need to be some sort of mystery to us when we read God's Word. It doesn't need to be, doesn't need to be a mystery to us as Christians. Uh, we need to be doing it every day, actually. So there's a couple words in the Hebrew that are translated meditate uh, that we can read in the Old Testament. The first one is used in Psalms 1 where basically it says to meditate and that is talking about a murmuring that somebody may do, murmuring over and over, repeat, repeating the word of God. Psalms 1 says, 
Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of the sinners, nor sits in the seats of coppers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. That is where it is referring to a murmuring. Over and over again, every day and every night. The other word for meditate is in, in uh, uh, Psalms 119. In verse 99 it says there, I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. And the word for meditation there in that passage is, is, is talking about refe reflecting quietly and deep devotion. So notice the difference. Reading the Bible is good and it's necessary as a starting point for meditation, but it's not where it stops because we don't just read the Bible like we're reading a novel for entertainment or a nonfiction book for information. We read the Bible, we want to absorb what's in the Bible. We want to understand what's in the Bible. So, do we ever find ourselves doing that? Just reading words? I know I do. Uh, you know, we've, we've read at home and we can read a chapter or two and at the end of that reading we kind of just go, what in the world did I just read? I have no remembrance of what I just read. We were just reading just to read. We need to do more than that. You know, think about it like this. You know, us as uh, 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 us guys or husbands or may go out on a date with our wife or our girlfriend or fiance and we want to have conversation with them and we sit down at a table for dinner and our wife or girlfriend is right across from us but just beyond them is a television, a sports center or a game, something like, in, in, like that. And there's conversation happening, and all of a sudden you realize that there's a pause from your wife, and you realize she was talking about something to me that I need to respond to, and you do not remember what she was talking about. That's what we're talking about. We can't just read to read. We have to understand. We have to focus. We have to realize what is going on in the Scriptures. So... One writer said, most Christians read the Bible, but few Christians meditate on it. As a result, so many sense little spiritual impact from the time they invest in Scripture intake. So the main reason more Christians don't find their daily time in the Scriptures more profitable has little to do with the strength of their memory, the level of their education, or their IQ. Rather, the problem is very simple, a lack of meditation on Scripture. James 1.22 says, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So is it possible that us here at this congregation can be, can be extremely biblically literate and yet be totally deceived in the process? Do we understand? Can we recite passages? Do we know how to, how to memorize the Bible but yet not understand the contents of the Bible and and what God is really wanting us to know, I don't think that's the case here. But I think it can be the case if we're not careful. So, while we read this passage, I want us to understand, and, and I'm, I'm going to deliberately slow down and read this so we can understand what's here. And think about these things and understand them as we read them. So let's read Joshua chapter 1, and we will read through Verse 9. And it says there, 
After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, which you and all this people to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, as I said to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man should be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage, for to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Okay. So when we read this passage, there's a couple of phrases that stick out immediately. And the first one is a command. And that command is to be strong and courageous. It is a command. You may want to take note of that, maybe even underline it if you got your pencil out or anything like that. And verse 7 says, only be strong and very courageous. And in verse 9, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. And then another phrase so it was three times that he had that that he said that phrase. And then the other phrase that is repeated three times is a promise. And it's the promise that God is going to be with Joshua. Excuse me. God is going to be with Joshua. You see it twice at the end of verse 5. God says, "Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you." That is the promise. God promised to be with Joshua. And then he says it again, but he rephrases it. He says, I will not leave you or forsake you. That's the second time. Then you may go down to the end of the passage, the end of verse 9. says, do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Three times. This is not the first time we see these phrases in the Old Testament. Uh, if you go back just a few chapters into Deuteronomy 31, if you want to turn there. We'll read a few verses out of Deuteronomy. It says there, beginning in verse 1, Then Moses went and spake these words to all Israel, 
And he said to them, I am 120 years old today. I can no longer go out and come in. Also the Lord has said to me, You shall not cross over this Jordan. The Lord your God himself crosses over before you. He will destroy these nations from before you, and you shall dispose, dispossess them. Joshua himself crosses over before you, just as the Lord has said. And the Lord will do to them as he did to Sion and Og, the kings of the Amorites and their land, and he destroyed them. The Lord will give them over to you, that you may do to them according to every commandment which I have commanded you. And then here in verse 6, Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, he is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. So the same command and the same promise. Then in verse 7, Moses speaks directly to Joshua. And here's what he says. Then Moses called Joshua and said to him in, the, in sight of all of Israel, Be strong and of good courage, for you must go with his people to the land which the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall cause them to inherit it. And the Lord, he is the one who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear nor be dismayed. That's pretty familiar. That is a constant reoccurring phrase that is said uh, in the Old Testament that we can read about. And then if you go later in the chapter into uh, verse 23 of Deuteronomy 31, God speaks directly to Joshua. And it says there in verse 23, Then he inaugurated Joshua the son of Nun and said, Be strong and of good courage, for you shall bring the children of Israel into the land which I swore to them, and I will be with you. Now, when something is repeated like that as many times as it has, I think it's something that we need to take notice of. God is telling us, take notice of what I am telling you. Now, uh, I didn't even point out yet in Joshua 1, uh, at the end of the chapter, which we, of course we didn't read, but the people there of Israel are speaking to Joshua as well, and they say the same thing. In verse 16 of Joshua 1, it says, Then they answered Joshua, Whatever you have commanded us, we will do, and wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we fully obeyed Moses, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he has or was with Moses. Verse 18, Whoever rebels against your word and does not obey it, whatever you may command them will be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. So the promise here is that God will be with Joshua. And there's a command that is required from that promise of God. And the command, in light of God being with Joshua, the command is to be strong and be courageous. So that's what we're going to kind of study on here for a few minutes tonight. So we, we, want, we understand what Joshua was going through at that time, but I want to try to apply these things to our life as well today. So, being a Christian, what effect does knowing God that He is with you have upon your life? So when God is with us or with you, we have confidence amidst uncertainty. So, when God is with us, when God is with me, I have confidence amidst uncertainty. 
So the context of, of the Bible leading up to Joshua 1 is, um, is pretty monumental. In Deuteronomy 34, the last book of Deuteronomy, there was a huge event in Israel's, in the time of Israel's people. Moses had died. That was huge. The man who led them out of Egypt, the man who, who went to Mount Sinai and, and, and the ten, brought the Ten Commandments down and led the people of Israel out of Egypt, had died. It was their leader. They saw him as their leader. So, and, and Joshua saw him in the same light as well. Here stands God's people on the brink of the promised land, and their leader is dead. So you can only imagine the uncertainty that Joshua and the people of Israel may have had. Sure, Joshua had been appointed by Moses as his successor, but there was so much unknown about how he would lead them and what would happen. After Moses' death, um, it comes right into Joshua 1. In verse 1 of Joshua 1, it says there, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, and we are reminded right here that Moses was only a servant to God. That's all he was. The Lord was with his people regardless of who the leader was. And if you go on to verse 5 of Joshua 1, he says, Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. So the man who leads God's people is not ultimately what matters. Ultimately what matters is that the Lord who leads his people will be with his people. The Lord is our leader. God is our leader. And when God is with his people, they can have confidence amidst uncertainty. Now, this, I think, has some corporate application as well. We can think about it, you know. Um, it, it's good to remember that, that we here at this congregation in Bakersfield are, are not dependent on one leader or a group of leaders um, anywhere. We don't have any biblical text for that at all. You know, we are not dependent on, on, my, on Frank or Darren or uh, Denny or anybody here to lead. Our leader is God and Jesus. And we have to remember that. And this is a perfect example of how God shows us that the person does not matter. But as long as the people are following God, that is what matters. So when things like, like that happen in our life, if we have uncertainty in our life, Maybe someone in our lives is all of a sudden not there anymore that we've relied upon. Maybe it's um, all of a sudden we lose our job. There's an uncertainty of how we're going to provide for our family. In any type of situation, we can rely on God that he is still there with us. So... God is saying to Joshua, Joshua, in the middle of his uncertainty around him, I'm with you and you can be confident in me. God also says, don't put your confidence in the circumstances that may be around you. Put your confidence in, in me, myself, because I will always be here. Secondly, when God is with you, you have strength despite your weakness. 
In verse 5, it says, No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Joshua needed strength in his, re in his weakness. Um, I, I didn't know this until I started studying, but did you know that Joshua tried to lead the people of Israel one time before, back in Numbers? In Numbers 13, um, Joshua and Caleb, this was about 40 years prior, had gone into the uh, a promised land as spies with the other uh, uh, 12 spies. And when the spies came back, all these uh, the, uh, of the tribes came back to report to Moses. All of them except for Caleb and Joshua did not want to go enter into the promised land, into Canaan. So Caleb and Joshua spoke up and said, yeah, let's go. Let's go, get, let's go start taking this over because God is with us. We can do it. In Numbers 14, Joshua specifically rises to speak and he tells the people we can take this land. Do you know how the people responded to Joshua? They wanted to rise up to stone him. They disagreed with Joshua and what he wanted to do. Now, it had been about 40 years since that situation happened until, we, until the uh, first chapter of Joshua. But I don't think that kind of uh, situation could ever be forgotten by somebody who's trying to lead. You try to lead one time and you got the people who you're trying to lead wanting to stone you, that's pretty discouraging. So Joshua had fear. Joshua had, had uh, concerns about his leadership, I think. So God says to him, I am with you and in light of this, even though that you are weak, with me you are strong. Uh, have any of us ever felt overhead, uh, in, like we're in over our heads in life? Whether it be with our relationships, whether it be with uh, over our head in our marriage, or over our head in parenting, or in over your head at work? You know, when Lizzie and I uh, had Kylie, we were 23 years old. Anthony was 6 years old. 18 months later, we had Emma. 23, and we have three kids. We were in way over our head. We wouldn't change it for anything, though, ever. So I, I think all of us can kind of relate that there are, there are situations in our life where we feel like we are over, in over our head. Emotional difficulty, is there any of that that we may be facing? Maybe physical challenges that we're encountering. Relational strain, and you just don't know what to do at those points in time. Maybe the only thing you do know to do is extremely hard to do. So all of us Christian men and women, husbands and wives, moms and dads, and employees and employers facing all kinds of situations. God is with us. He is with you. And he gives you strength despite your weakness. Also, when God is with you, you have courage in the face of fear. So think about this. Why did God tell Joshua three different times to be strong and courageous? Well, the implied answer in the text is obvious. God told Joshua three times to be strong and courageous because Joshua was scared to death to enter the land of Canaan and take, and, and take over that land. He was looking at the land of Canaan, currently divided into 31 different city-states, and he's supposed to lead God's people to conquer them all. 
How's he going to do that? Starting with a major city of Jericho that has walls as thick as you and I can read of in the Bible. So I think Joshua had a lot to be afraid of. I mean, that's a huge task that God is asking of Joshua. So let's see what God says to him. In verse 6 of our uh, passage, it says, Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. That's God saying you're going to cause this people to inherit this land I swore a long time ago and give to them. God just said back up in verse 3, I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. Every place. Verse 4, your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. That is a guarantee from the Almighty God, and that's the reason for courage in the face of fear. Joshua hasn't even fought one battle in the promised land, yet God is already guaranteeing victory. That's pretty amazing. When the God, the one true God, the only God who is sovereign over all, the people and all the nations and all the universe, when this God is with us, we have no reason to fear. You know, I don't know what kind of fears you guys are facing in your life right now, but I do know that we have a God who spoke creation into existence, the God who reigns over all creation and over all nations. He holds them in the palm of his hands, and when this God is on your side, we have nothing to be afraid of. We have courage in the face of fear. Also, when God is with us, we have success in battles according to Scripture. Notice how everything here on this text hinges on God's word to Joshua. God's word to his people, which is why in verse 7 God says, Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. Now, success here is tied to obedience. Now, when I say the word success, I'm not talking about financial success. I'm not talking about success in your job or success with your personal life. Success here is success in, in the battles that we may be facing in our life. And success of understanding what God's will is for us. That's what success is talking about here. He was talking, telling Joshua, if you do and stay with me, if you follow me, I will be with you and you will be successful in the battles coming in front of you. Taking over the land of Canaan. Verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate it in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. It's interesting in, uh, the way this plays out in the, in the uh, upcoming chapters of Joshua. If you read it, um, Israel's military success in the book of Joshua is never based on the strength of the army of Israel. Never. It is always based on God being with them because they are following God. Human strength, human strategy have nothing to do 
with whether or not the Israelites win different battles. Instead, their battles are totally tied to whether or not these Israelites are obeying God. When they're walking in obedience to God's word, they can win a battle with nothing but trumpet players and people shouting. Yet, on the other hand, when they're not walking in the obedience of God's word, they can't even defeat the smallest, tiniest town of Ai, even with their strongest men. So, let's all notice this, that what we're talking about, we're talking about confidence, strength, courage, success. All these things hinge on trusting in and clinging to God's word. God doesn't give specifics at this point to Joshua on, on what is going to happen when he goes to battle this city or the strategy or anything like that. God doesn't give any specifics like that. So we may not know the specifics in our life when we're going through any type of battle or struggle. We may not know how to make the next move. But God is with us if we are with him. Frank mentioned this morning. God never leaves us. We are the ones who choose to leave God. So as long as we don't leave God, God will be with us, and our success is found in understanding the scriptures and how to apply those to our life. God leads his people according to his word. He has not left us in the dark regarding his will, and he will give us success in understanding his will if we follow his word. Also, when God is with you, you have hope in the face of despair. This passage closes out in verse 9 with God saying, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. Do not be dismayed. Do not be discouraged. Do not be disheartened, downcast, or distressed. Don't let your heart give way to despair because the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Whenever you get to a point in your life or a situation where you have no idea what to do next, when it looks like there is nothing but uh, darkness all around you, and you don't know if there's any way to go forward at all, know that you have hope in God. You have hope. Why? Not because we are guaranteed that the circumstances are going to change either tonight tomorrow or the situation may get flipped around towards uh, going our way our hope is not in the circumstance of the or the situation our hope the hope of our heart is in the rock solid reality that the lord our god is with us wherever we go so don't be dismayed if we go back to numbers chapter 13 uh, Moses sent the 12 spies out into the land. He gives the names out of the 12 spies that are going in. But when Joshua's name is mentioned, he is not initially called Joshua. In Numbers 13, 8, he's called Hoshea, son of Nun. And it's not until we get to verse 16 in that chapter that we read, it says there, There were the names of men whom Moses sent to spy out the land, and Moses called Hoshea, the son of Nun, Joshua. So why did Moses change the name of Hosea to Joshua? Well, there, there's always a difference 
And there's always a meaning to names in the Old Testament and even in the New Testament. And the answer is Hosea means deliverance or salvation. But Moses makes a slight but significant change at the beginning of his name where he changes it to Joshua. So now it doesn't just mean deliverance or salvation, but now it means Yahweh delivers or Yahweh saves. In other words, the Lord delivers, the Lord saves. It's the first name we see in the Bible that explicitly incorporates Lord or Yahweh into someone's name, and it is deliberate. God is always deliberate in everything that we can read out of the Bible. So, when we come to this book that bears the name of Joshua, the overall message of the book of Joshua is clear. The Lord delivers his people. The Lord saves his people because of Yahweh's presence, because of God's presence. With his people, they can have hope in the face of despair. He will deliver them. He will save them. God delivers. God saves his people. Now, if that slight change in the Old Testament isn't, um, isn't cool enough or pretty, pretty neat enough, um, the, the Hebrew name Joshua is translated into the New Testament, into the Greek. And Joshua translated into the New Testament as Yeshua or Jesus. For in the Greek New Testament, it's the name of Jesus that translates the Lord saves or the Lord delivers. So let's not miss what is going on here. All this talk about God's presence with his people was foreshadowing a day when God would come literally to dwell on earth with man among his people. And that is Jesus, the Lord who saves, who would come to earth as a man, the perfect presence of God dwelling with and among his people. Jesus stood in our place on the cross, willingly suffered and died for our sins, and he purchased our reconciliation to God. And in his unique life, in his substitutionary death, and in his resurrection over sin and death, Jesus had made it possible for you and I to be restored to the presence of God. So it's only through Christ and through faith and trust in who he is and what he has done that these promises can be reality to our lives and obeying the gospel. Apart from God, we are separated from God in our sin. We can put our trust in him when we are reconciled, when we are baptized, restored to God, that we can just consider these promises, what they mean for you and I. All these promises are for us as Christians. Also, something else happens. Let's look at some a few verses here. Um, in Colossians 1, verse 27, it says there, To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. I believe this is talking about the Holy Spirit being in us when we choose to follow Christ. So the picture that the Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead comes to live inside us. Ephesians 1 says that the Holy Spirit is in you, sealing our eternal redemptions. So we are sealed with the Holy Spirit inside of us as long as we do not leave God. The scripture also talks about not how just Christ is in us, but how we are in Christ as well as when we are Christians. 
2 Corinthians 5 and 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So, we are in Christ. We are sealed. We are a new creation. The old is gone. The new, is, new, uh, the new has come. But it, uh, it gets even a little bit better for us. In Colossians 3 and 3, it says, For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So we are hidden with Christ in God. The Spirit is in us, and we are in Christ, and Christ in God. There's a lot going on there. Now, we can think about that and think about how when we are being tempted by the devil or when he, we feel like he's coming at us pretty hard, we are protected by a lot of things going on there. We're protected by the Spirit in us. We're protected by being in Jesus Christ, and, and we're protected by Christ being in God. So we have no reason to be afraid or to be dismayed, and we have no reason to not have strength despite our weakness. God is with us. Hudson Taylor says this in his biography called Hudson Taylor's Spiritual Secret. He said there, I know he is able to carry out his will and his will is mine. It makes no matter where he places me or how. That is rather for him to consider than for me for the for in the easiest position, he must give me his grace, and in the most difficult, his grace will be sufficient. So if God should place me in great perplexity, must he not give me much guidance? In positions of great difficulty, much grace? In circumstances of great pressure and trial, much strength? I have no fear that his resources will be unequal to the emergency and his resources are mine, for he is mine, and he is with me, and he dwells in me. We can have confidence that God is with us as long as we are following the scripture. So in conclusion, amidst uncertainty, we have confidence. Despite our weakness, we have strength. In the face of fear, we have nothing to be afraid of. We have courage. God will grant us success in understanding his will according to the scripture. He gives us hope even in the deepest, darkest, most difficult circumstances. He is with us. Don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. The Lord God is with us in you, you and him, wherever we go. And this is all a blood-bought reality for every Christian. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by The Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 730 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.